welcome to our podcast. My name's Claire Moffat and I'm the head of the development and technical team here at Royal London. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by three special guests. Jamie Jenkins, who's Royal London's Director of Policy and External Affairs. Tim Fassam, Director of Government Relations and Policy at PIMFA. And Sally Plant, Head of Financial Planning at the CISI. As you may know, Royal London carried out some research last year where we explored the advice gap. One of our key findings was that of the 39 million UK adults who are currently unadvised, there's a population of 3.7 million who not only have significant assets to invest, but are also open to receiving professional financial advice. We've now carried out some further research with advisors to understand how our industry can help to connect more of these people with good advice. In this session, we're going to dig into the common themes which have emerged from that research and discuss how our industry might work together to help more consumers find the financial help they need. If you'd like to read our full um, research report, you can download a copy from our website at advisor.royallondon.com forward slash future of advice. Our research shows that there are more advisors who see the advice gap as an opportunity than those who don't. Yet, from some of the comments we've had, I think it's fair to say that a lot of advisors are quite surprised at just how big that opportunity could be. Sally and Tim, is this something you can relate to? And if so, can our industry be doing more to help showcase the potential growth opportunities that are out there? And I'll ask that question to Sally first of all. Thanks. Um, I think the uh, advisors do see the advice gap as an opportunity um, because I, I actually think many advisors are also excited by reaching out to new consumers and potentially different consumers, looking at how we speak to the audiences that are sort of in the digital natives um, and how we need to shape our um, the future of advice to meet that new consumer demand. Um, I think also those that have got very established relationships, as most planners do with their clients, can see how their children, their children's children, there's almost an increasing need for those next generations coming through to seek um, financial planning advice. So I think that the advisors do see the advice gap uh, as an opportunity. Um, in terms of us helping to showcase the potential growth opportunities out there, I think this also comes down to how we showcase advising and planning as a profession to ensure that people coming into it, there's diversity, but obviously we're all aware that, that you know, planning and advising is an ageing profession at the moment and we do need it is going to be essential to get um to get newcomers into into the profession to ensure actually that the advice gap doesn't get big, bigger thanks sally same question for you tim um i i absolutely agree with sally i think there is a degree of recognition of the uh the opportunity and the size of an opportunity but i think there's sometimes some some myths that get in the way um, of, of serving uh, some of the 
less traditional uh, consumer bits of the potential customer base, whether that be uh, younger people who uh, actually are, 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 do want some help uh, and sometimes things get dismissed because they, uh, for example, advisors might think they're only interested in saving for a deposit for a home, but increasingly people are buying their first home in their, their late 30s or early 40s, so potentially looking to save over a 15 to 20 year time horizon. Uh, they're increasingly interested in investing. Uh, we see that in crypto and the meme stocks, but actually the popularity of uh, a number of financial TikTok and uh, Instagram accounts should show us that, that there is that interest there. Um, and we're also looking at different sources of wealth coming from uh, particularly the, the tech sector um, and uh, that desire to engage uh, via technology uh, and as we've seen through the pandemic that uh, desire uh, or, or willingness being much wider than I think previously uh, predicted means that as well as there being an opportunity for new customers there's opportunities for new ways of engaging uh, with those customers so I think what we can certainly do is um, promote those opportunities uh, and help advisors understand uh, where those opportunities are and what they might be able to do uh, to access them as well as promoting the sector uh, more widely with those potential customers. Thanks very much Tim. Jamie, as I said at the start, this is yet another piece of research Royal London has carried out into the advice gap. Can you summarise why this particular issue is so important to the business. Yeah, thanks, Claire. Um, Royal London takes the view that certainly independent financial advice is, is really the gold standard for consumers. And, you know, we're keen to explore ways that we can make this available to more people, ultimately make it more accessible. So it's it's part of a series of research pieces that we've done, as, as a number of people will be aware. So we started really by looking at the value of advice. We moved on to understanding the advice gap and exploring the reasons for it. And we're now moving on to trying to facilitate some solutions in this area to, to actually closing that advice gap. So, that, so that's kind of where we are in, in the series. And I think it's it's interesting, just picking up on some of what's been said there, it, it, it's interesting, the answers um, that we had from advisors most recently. I mean, we do see the majority of advisors saying that they are, um, let's say, content with their existing client base. And I can understand that because it's a very stable client base. You don't, you tend not to, um, my, in my understanding anyway, people aren't moving around between advisors, shopping around every year. And the way that in some other industries, that's the case. Um, advisors tend to keep their clients because they look after them. It's a very um, stable client bank. So I understand that. But this is really about saying, well, there are a number of other potential clients out there. And this is about not just about stability of the business, but perhaps growth. And certainly, a, again, a large number of advisors said that they are interested in the advice gap for that reason. So I think we're really keen to explore that further and, and help work through the, the problems to doing so. Thanks, Jamie. The majority of advisors believe that there's a need to improve consumer education about the benefits of professional financial advice, 
if we're to encourage more people to seek it. Interestingly, only one in five advice firms say that they provide education on the benefits of their services to potential clients. A question for all of you, what can our industry be doing to help with this? I'll ask that question first of all to Tim. Um, thanks, uh, thanks Claire. I, I think there's a lot our industry can do, but we can't do it all on our, on our own. Uh, and I think we've got to be careful here that we're not, um, you know, wishing for better customers um, because actually um, it, it, it's not um, entirely about customer education. It's also about opportunity uh, and um, timing and other factors. So what we can do is make sure that as an industry, we are ready and willing to uh, demonstrate the value that we provide, but that we're also supporting uh, education from the earliest stages, um, be that financial education in schools, where PIMFA is certainly arguing for the extension of the uh, element of the national curriculum that currently only covers secondary schools into primary schools, because we know financial habits, particularly whether you're a, a spender or a saver, are set very, very young. Um, the the encouragement of academies and free schools to cover that element of the national curriculum if they don't have to cover it at, at present. And then looking at what we can do as an industry, working with the money and pension service to create uh, a, a sort of natural flow for working age adults and retirees who can find guidance if they need guidance that that uh, can then be seamlessly handed from the guidance provider to uh, full financial advice as and when that is appropriate for the individual because actually the most effective form of education really will happen at the point where it is of most relevance to the the individual be that starting a new job getting married having children these this sort of life event um, uh, model that, that I know many financial advisors use themselves to make sure that 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 education and that assistance is happening at the, the right moment. That's great Tim, thank you. Sally, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of extend, I guess, partly what Tim says about the financial literacy piece. Obviously, in England, it's secondary schools, Northern Ireland um, and Scotland. It's in primary schools. But but ultimately, there's lots of research. And we did some recently about how, um, you know, um, habits start to be formed around the age of seven. So there's definitely a literacy piece in schools. Now, the, the consumer education piece, I, I am fully behind. As a profession, we really... Um, and, and, you know, jointly with the regulators and the government, we should be really looking at professional financial advice as being one part of that financial well-being piece and and uh, a healthy mind. And really, it should almost not be that diff different having a sports membership or, uh, you know, many firms subsidise um, gym memberships for one of their um, work, you know, benefits, employee benefits, but I don't know how many firms would subsidise someone seeing a sort of holistic financial advisor as part of their 
one of their main employee benefits. So I think we definitely need to get this into the mainstream conversation and for financial planning and financial advice not to be seen as something that only a few do, but make it much more part of that generic conversation. And that could be things like, you know, the school's literacy program. It could be things like utilising that school communication piece and that mechanism to encourage parents of school children to be part of that conversation. But I definitely think there's lots the industry can do to support this. We, you know, Financial Planning Week in October, which is the global um, certified financial planner initiative, we were, we offer a week's, a uh, couple of weeks worth of pro bono sessions and we advertise that you know, through, through national newspapers and online and this year we started trying to use um instagrammers and 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 tiktok stars to communicate that out but the whole profession needs to get behind these kind of communication um mechanisms to really move it forward but wholeheartedly i believe this needs to become into a mainstream conversation um, so it is about consumer education, but also guiding consumers to where they can find out about credible um, financial advice. Thanks, Ali. And Jamie, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what's been said, absolutely. And I think there's a, there's a real role for education at an earlier age. I have to say, I'm wrestling with some of this with my just turned four-year-old son at the moment and trying to explain to him that we do actually have to have money to buy the toys that he demands all the time and that money doesn't grow on trees and so on and so forth. And it's perhaps a bit early for to talk to him about um, financial advice, but um, it, I do think it, it's right. We're on a long journey here in terms of educating people at the right age to get them off on a good start as they start to build their career prospects. And I, I, I do think that's really important. I think the other thing to add is that it does feel sometimes like advice sits outside of the professional sector in a way. Now, that we, we all know on this call that's not true, and advisors know that's not true. It's absolutely a, a profession. But it, but it does feel like people, when buying a house, for example, will look to an estate agent or a solicitor without question in a way that they don't with their finances. And I think we need to change that psyche, if you like, um, in the public's mind, that there are events in their lives where they absolutely should seek professional help. In, in doing so just as they would for, for some other things such as buying a house. So I think I think there is something there that we need to work on in terms of how we position the, the value of advice and the need to, to obtain it. Thanks Jamie. Now when we asked advisors to share their views on who's responsible for closing the gap, the majority believe the onus lies with the regulators and government. Tim, PIMFA issued a policy paper last year which outlined 12 recommendations it hoped would make it easier for consumers to access professional financial advice. Within that paper, you called on the government to review the definition of advice and championed the need to create new lower cost advice services to support a much wider market. Can you expand on these points in terms of how that landscape might look, please? Uh, very, very happy to. Um, and this all came from work we did with our financial advice members, where we looked at what was causing the most difficulty in their ability to offer uh, low cost services to individuals with relatively straightforward needs. And what kept coming back 
were the full suitability requirements within MIFID II that effectively combined with the definition of advice meant that any personal recommendation had to be the best possible, the most suitable thing for that individual to do, which meant that even if you are on a, a relatively, uh, you're making a relatively straightforward recommendation that will certainly help the individual, you might still uh, be taking on more regulatory risks than you are willing to unless you do that full fact find, unless you do that incredibly detailed, time consuming, expensive work. And so uh, as well as looking at the, the advice guidance boundary, so people can say, uh, I, I certainly remember um, when looking at pharma, uh, the financial advice market review, they were looking at rules of thumb and determined that you couldn't even say if you have children, you should have some life insurance because that was a personal recommendation that would have stepped over the line. And that feels foolish, um, particularly in the context of talking about education, about helping people understand their needs. But beyond that, we need something uh, that, that sort of sits between guidance and advice that enables advisors to for uh, customers with relatively straightforward needs recommend something that will be a good outcome i.e better than having not done anything and when we look at people uh, the amount that people are under saving uh, the amount of people that have uh, too much money held in cash you know we want them to be go uh, taking that money and investing it but in relatively standard um, products. And so we can see a, a situation where a financial advisor would be able to say to someone, you know what, if you put a couple of hundred quid a month into an ISA or a pension, into this relatively mainstream, well-diversified fund, you know, I they can recommend that to a customer without the expectation that they will be caught by full suitability requirements, enabling them to help those fairly straightforward customers much more easily and at much lower cost, and therefore also helping to close that gap, because we know a large number of the people that could benefit from financial advice are put off by, by the cost. And for many of them, that full fact and full suitability requirement isn't really needed um, but we need to protect that gold standard product um, for people who do need it people with complex needs people who are coming up to retirement and making very difficult decisions where they really do need that fantastic service that you currently get from a financial advisor with that level of detail and level of thought that they they put into it thanks tim Sally, would you agree that regulatory reform could help to narrow the advice gap? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things, you know, with the advice gap, um, as we said, it's also ensuring that people understand what financial planning is for them to be attracted to going to get it. I think, as, as Tim said, creating a simplified um, offer will enable people to will motivate people to want to go and get advice and the regulator undoubtedly plays a role in that. I wouldn't say it's just down to the regulator, I think the government have got a role in that. I think us as professional bodies and, and the industry at wide has a role to play in that. But 
the regulator could create something which allows a more simplified offer, but still allows firms to differentiate um, their service to some of those sort of online information providers that are giving some guidance, but not actual advice. So I think the regulator does need to play a role in helping us produce and, and offer a lower cost solution that's more simplified um, to meet um, you know, consumers' needs while still enabling them to differentiate themselves to those more information providers. Thanks, Sally. Now, moving on to think about the role of technology. On the one hand, there are millions of customers out there who have significant assets to invest and are open to receiving professional advice. But on the other, there simply isn't enough capacity in the advice community to service such a significant volume of new clients. Jamie, technology is often pitched as a potential solution to this problem. Can it be used to help scale up the provision of advice services? And if so, what role do you think providers have to play? Claire, yeah, I think absolutely. So it seems obvious that technology is, is all pervasive in so many areas of people's lives now. And I think it's no exception here in this industry and in, in, in the advice process. It, it, it feels to me like it's a, it's a fairly inexorable move that we will continue to improve the way that we can use data and the way that we can obtain data and then use that um, or supply it to advisors for the purposes of what they do. And I think if we can help advisors focus on the real quality time that they spend with their clients um, by removing some of the work that's required upfront that perhaps gets in the way of that, then I think that's a really big step forward. And we've clearly done a lot of that already in, in the provision of some of the technology that we provide. So I think there's more we can do on that, that that would remove some of the the cost and expense and time for advisors in dealing with clients. And, and as I say, focus therefore on that really kind of valuable part of the conversation and the, the actual advice itself rather than the sort of data gathering and, and fact find elements. And I think j just to pick up, I mean, pensions dashboard plays into this. And I know for many advisors, they'll roll their eyes on hearing this because it's been a number of years in the making but we are now i think just just within about 12 months within sort of touching distance of seeing the first dashboards go live in the course of 2023 and it should be something that is really helpful so particularly clearly around pensions initially but something which should allow clients or their advisors on their behalf to find and identify and value pensions in a way that previously perhaps clients were turning up with um, lever arch files or even plastic bags full of papers that needed to be worked through and in some cases even missing pots of money that, that they previously had for jobs that they occupied for a small period of time for example so I do think you know dashboard is actually a very good way of thinking about how we can really get data working harder in the interests of advisors and if we look just a little bit beyond that You've got to imagine then that we move to a position of open finance, so not just pensions, but you know, joining up people's capability to see what they have online um, in terms of banking and other products for that matter. So it feels like that's a move in the in the right direction that will really help. That's great, Jamie. Thank you. And I think what's been clear from the research we've carried out is that 
While some advisors can see the value of automating key parts of the advice process, very few believe that self-serve technology, such as robo-advice, can provide a solution to the problem on its own. Now, presumably, um, Tim and Sally, you would agree with this, but what about the role technology can play in terms of connecting more customers with advice? So, for example, from our initial research into the advice gap, around a third of all non-advised consumers said that they would find advice more appealing if they could do everything digitally. Do you think that this is an area where advisors perhaps need to adapt if they're to meet changes in customer expectation and behaviour? Um, and I'll ask that question to Tim, first of all. Thanks. Um, yes, I think I think we do have to adapt. I, I, my team uh, hear me say this a lot, but every single industry who has said that they are different and technology won't revolutionise how they operate has been wrong. Um, and we have to accept that this is coming for our industry. But there is a critical thing that technology is bad at, and that is emotional intelligence and human engagement. And that is at the heart of our industry. So what you need to think about with technology is how can you use technology in a way that maximizes your ability to do the thing that's really really valuable and that's being able to connect with your client and with your customer and so most um, customers now are used to being able to check their bank statement on their uh, on an app to do simple transactions um, to uh, be able to submit documents um, and things like open banking are making that that even easier. I, I had to um, uh, update my mortgage a few months ago and instead of submitting my bank statements, as you would have done previously, I gave uh, my mortgage per provider permission to use the open banking network to access them directly. Now, customers will get more and more used to things like that and they will expect those points of friction to be removed. So my advice, I think my advice to advisors, look at how you can use technology to um, remove those pain points for customers and look at how you can use technology so you are spending your time on the things that only you can do. And at the heart of that is going to be your customer relationships. Thanks, Tim. And same question for Sally. I mean, I'd echo what Tim has just said. There are certain parts, you know, having been planning myself, there are certain parts of that process that just cannot be replaced by anything that's digital. Because that one moment when, you know, the husband and wife look at each other and, and you realise that they haven't quite understood what you've said and that you need to re reiterate that again. Or when you're asking them, they believe they've got an, enough emergency cash and you ask a few more probing questions and you will come to the realisation that potentially we haven't. So so I think there, I think this is where, you know, planning is so built on relationships that some of this would be incredibly difficult to digitalise. Having said that, um, our client base and um, the future client base, uh, client bases, the Gen Zers expect and want and communicate through uh, social media and digital technology. So we are going to have to move towards that. Um, and I echo Tim's points really that there will be parts of the process that that we can modify and that will actually improve the process. 
Um, but but there are certain parts that 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 won't be able, you know, we won't be able to do. Thanks, Ali. And I want to have a think about that in a little bit more detail. What about the threats that new technology might pose to the device market? These days, a lot of young adults will turn to social media platforms such as TikTok or YouTube to get information about managing their money. Do you think this represents an opportunity for advisors to broaden their reach? And what about managing the potential risks these new channels might pose to consumers? Um, Sally, can I ask you that first? Yeah, I mean, I think this is something we're going to have to embrace um, because uh, as you know, young adults, TikTok, about 60% of users of TikTok are um, the next generation. And as you said, so many of them use them to get information about money. And actually, some of some of those platforms are giving really good basic information um, about ISAs or about budgeting or about that very preliminary basic sort of financial capability advice. In terms of an opportunity for, for advisors, of course, some advisors are starting to do their own sort of um, webinars and put them onto a social media platform. Um, and so I think there is an opportunity here, but, but we need to work with these new emerging talents on TikTok and YouTube to ensure that they are providing the right information. Um, otherwise, some of that misinformation out there could, you know, prove to be a real potential risk to the consumer. Thanks, Sally. Um, same question for you, Jamie. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Um, do you know, it's funny, I mean, we talk about misinformation or disinformation as something new and it's it's clearly not i mean th there's always been the sort of pub conversation where people walk away with you know a complete misunderstanding of the the truth but they were speaking to two people and so between them those three people gathered the wrong opinion from that conversation now social media kind of, kind of amplifies that and instead of speaking to two people you suddenly find that it's two million people that, that you've found with a similar view or adopt a similar um, perspective on things. And that's that's part of the problem. It's like safety in numbers. People then start to listen to only the people that take that view. So misinformation is is really problematic uh, and more problematic, but it's not new. It's just the, the medium has kind of amplified that, that message. And I think, you know, I think we all agree that there is work to do on managing that, you know, and I won't get into the debate about exactly whose responsibility it is, but clearly the platforms that are hosting this information have work to do and regulation probably needs to move on in terms of how we we try and you know try and tidy up some of what people are reading and understanding where it's where it's misinformed so i think there is something about raising that standard undoubtedly but let's not you know let's not pretend you know whilst it might be a threat um technology is a huge enabler it's a huge opportunity and you think about, I know it's almost a cliche to talk about people in generations, but certainly when I look through my generation, so my um, octogenarian mother um, is really struggling to come to terms with, you know, how to use things like online banking and probably always will because she's just a bit scared. It's not something she's grown up with. Whereas I look down the way to my four-year-old son again and, and he won't really know anything else he's growing up with technologies the way that you do everything and won't know how it was before 
and you know, and generations beyond him similarly will grow up with a new wave of technology. So it's definitely an enabler. It's a way of um, doing things. But I think we we just need to think about how that works through in terms of different age groups and people's different vulnerability or or aptitude for for using it. Thanks, Jamie. And Tim, do you have anything else to add? Yeah, I think the the key thing is it absolutely is an opportunity as long as there is a level playing field. And what this means, and, and I know a number of our members have been concerned about this, both firms and individuals saying things that they feel they would never get away with in terms of, of, of uh, the rules from the FCA. And then the, also the risk that the out and out scammers that we know are, are operating on on technology uh, and particularly Instagram and Facebook um, are undermining people's faith in financial advice in, in general and so we were very proud as part of a coalition of financial services firms consumer groups other trade associations that we convinced the government to amend the online harms bill which was originally looking at uh, radicalization grooming issues like that to include investment fraud so that individuals who are using these uh, platforms to commit fraud, um, those, those platforms will be held to account for dealing with that harm that's happening on their platforms. And this will be incredibly important to restoring faith in the advice uh, community for individuals who feel that they have been been let down by people pretending to be part of our sector. So making sure those rules apply to everyone is part of how the genuine advice sector can then use those platforms for for engagement. That's great. Thanks, Tim. Hey, finally, another way to increase the capacity of the advice market would, of course, be to grow the size of the advisor community. And in fact, we know from our research that there's a sizable population of advisors who believe we must encourage more people to enter their profession. What role can our industry play in helping to promote a career in, um, in the world of professional advice or even create a pathway for those who might be interested? And um, that's a question for all of you to think about, um, but I'll start with Jamie. Yeah, it's an interesting one and it's a real conundrum because there are groups of um, like-minded people who are trying to promote this very subject in terms of the sort of next generation of planners and advisors if you like um, and I think you know that's a very worthwhile cause it's quite difficult to put your finger on it what, what I'm probably less clear on is the extent to which the problem of growing the advisor community is um, because advisors aren't typically expanding their business and recruiting and people aren't leaving that or whether there is simply a lack of people coming through and showing interest and maybe it's a mixture of, of both but maybe just to, to to offer up one point something i mentioned earlier was the idea of making this more of a recognized profession as i say we know it is a profession absolutely but whether that's clear to people who are going through the later stages of education or into university look at it in the same way as they might um you know a law degree or uh, going into to medicine you know is advice something that they consider a profession that they'd really like to aspire to and i don't know the answer to that i think there's more work we probably need to do in that area um, if we are to expand the number of people who who come into the profession thanks jamie and same question for tim 
So I think um, what the evidence suggests, and this is true to a certain degree across um, financial services as a whole, is the best uh, new graduates do not see financial services as an attractive career anymore. You know, they're they're looking at tech uh, and they're looking at organisations which they feel have more social purpose. Now, obviously, we all know that we are a profession dedicated to helping people, often helping people um, when they're in challenging circumstances, when they have particularly complex needs. And I think one of the things that will be needed to get that next generation in is to have a look at our culture. So are we welcoming? Are we diverse? Are we inclusive? Um, and are we proud of the good that we do as a sector? Um, because increasingly young people want to work for companies that they feel have a social purpose and our industry very clearly does but we don't tend to talk about it we don't tend to perhaps be proud of it as as we should do i think on on equality and diversity which comes up time and time again for young people as being absolutely critical i think we all know that we have more to do but what was really heartening is last year pimfa had our first equality and diversity awards and the stories from the sector that were showing uh, what could be done, showing um, what best practices um, were incredibly uplifting. And I think if we grab that that challenge to make sure we have a a welcoming culture, making sure we're we're reflecting the community we serve, that will in turn pay dividends not only in terms of um, helping us access uh, the widest possible group of customers but also encouraging um, more and more young people to see us as a profession of choice. That's great, Tim, thank you. And Sally? I mean, this is an interesting one because I think all professional bodies that are in this space are doing work with universities. But interestingly, when you look at how people enter the advising or planning career pathway often it's not from graduates lots of people come in where it's a second or third job role and they almost accidentally fall into financial planning and then um grow grow from there so often it can be sort of second career for someone rather than just promoting it to the sort of graduate population but i think it comes back to almost back to sort of the advice gap point really is whether people really understand what financial planning is and therefore what a career in financial planning would be like um and and so i think those two things really do go hand in hand but undoubtedly the industry can do more to um, support people when they want to come into financial planning and to promote financial planning to um, school leavers, graduates and potentially apprentice, apprenticeships to encourage them into the advising community. Thank you Sally. Now I'd just like to thank my guests for their time today. If you'd like to find out more about some of the issues we've discussed please visit our website at advisor.royallondon.com forward slash future of advice. Thank you. Thank you.